So here we are. Tonight is the first official night of the parish mission. Um, the good thing about the Eucharist is there's so much to say that actually um, my problem was to cut it down. I tend to talk too long, so we'll see how it goes tonight. And especially with a theme like the Eucharist, you know, you could just go endlessly. Because it is everything. As we said on the weekend um, in the church documents, it's the source and summit of Christian life. Which means, personally, it's the source and summit, very important, of my life and your life. And the words, that's quite a stretch. That means it's the source of everything in my life, and it's the summit, the goal, of everything in my life. So that excludes nothing in our lives. And I do hope, and we'll pray for that, that something sticks. Since it covers everything, we cannot look at everything as a theme, and not everything in your heart will be challenged or inspired or uh, renewed or confirmed, but something will. See, that's the hope. So the theme is everything, and the real hope would be after this week, something um, doesn't have to change, but gets confirmed and deepened. You know, some of you are holy, and for some of us who are still sinners, uh, so maybe something changes something. That, I think that's a realistic goal. Please, Lord, help something to change. So let's pray. Jesus Christ, present in the Eucharist tonight, touch our hearts. Reveal your heart to us. Help me to see what you're trying to say to me, what you've been trying to say to me for the past week, for the past months, maybe for the past years. Let me hear it again, or hear it for the first time, and then purify my heart so I can be generous and actually respond as I want to. I'm here tonight, I'm showing my goodwill. I do want to do whatever you want of me, so make me aware again of what that was and give me the strength to do it, amen. So I, um, we made a, photocopy because I realize you're not Protestant, uh, which is a good thing because we're here. The Eucharist is the theme. I mean, if you're Protestant, that's great. Uh, there's no problem, but uh, the theme is the Eucharist, so it might get a little boring. Um, so you didn't bring your Bibles. I mean, I know... Actually, I'm always surprised when a Catholic brings a Bible to something like this. It's like, yeah, that would make sense. You go to... I preached in Germany to some Protestant groups. It was always exciting because they all had their Bibles, and they all sat at the front. Tendentially, the Catholic groups sort of fill up at the back, and as they get later and later, they have to sit in the front rows. So it's good for shaming because the last ones will be first, and they will be shamed. So we're very biblical, I guess, in that way. We live it. We don't need the Bible. We just live that way. Um, yeah, so on that sheet, I think there were only 50 copies. We'll make a few more tomorrow. Um, there's some Bible texts, they're not all the ones I'll refer to, but they're just something to hang on to. So the title of this reflection is Personal Encounter. Because I was thinking, I read the documents of the church on the Eucharist, uh, some other books I really love, and um, as I mentioned on the weekend, the word awe, wonder, amazement came up a lot. As did the basic definition of what this is. This is Jesus Christ here. Jesus, these are your people. 
I feel like I'm a dating service, but that's what we're doing here. Uh, it's, it's almost embarrassing to do this. It's like, okay, I'm going to explain the Eucharist to you. Well, he could do that, and he's trying to, and he probably already has tried many times. But what we say in a very pithy way, Jesus Christ, humanity and divinity, body and soul, uh, is here. Every time we celebrate the Mass, he comes. So it's not something to think about, it's something to experience. It's a personal encounter with the living God. And this should make us actually a bit overwhelmed. Let's go with that point. Who is here? Jesus, I'm going to do his bio. Michelle was nice enough to introduce me, giving all the significant facts of my life. Uh, well, I'm going to give Jesus an introduction. This is God. And none of you, you know, it's like, yeah, okay. You should be collapsing or having heart attacks or, you know, falling on your face onto the ground, prostrate. And we don't. We don't. We are so used to that. It's become part of the furniture. Oh, yeah, Jesus is in the church. God's in the church. Even, let's be honest, we go to adoration. You have a beautiful adoration chapel. You're doing the campaign to get more adorers. Like, how could that place not be full? We are human beings. We have our life. We have our schedules. But if the source of everything and the goal of everything is over there in the Adoration Chapel, in this tabernacle, and tonight here on the altar, just so it's really, really clear he's among us. Because if the tabernacle is closed with the veil, you know, who knows? Could be empty. But in that monstrance is Jesus. So here he is. This is God. And um, in Revelation, the apocalypse, which is the unveiling. It's pulling back the veil to see what really matters. Revelation, what it does is it goes to the skeleton of reality and shows us what's really important and invites us to align our hearts and our lives with that again. The book of Revelation is the one that actually converted Scott Hahn, among other things, because he was reading it and said, when he saw the Catholic liturgy, this is the Mass. Yes, that's tremendous. This is the Mass. The Mass is this. Let's put it the other way. Revelation is about the spiritual warfare and about heaven and battles and eternity with God forever. That's every Mass. And in a similar way, it's every adoration. Every time we come and visit Jesus, it, it's sort of like heaven on earth, which does not mean peace and quiet because half of Revelation is about big battles. It's not a refuge from real life. It is, real life is this. And the thing we call real life in our pathetic little way, you know, the routine and the small things and we're all worried about the divisiveness in society, that is not real life. Real life is this or we are lying when we say it's the source and summit of Christian life. Is it? Well, then it is. So who is here? It is God. And in Revelation 5, there are many passages I was going to take, but again, um, you know, I don't want to overwhelm. We're Catholics, not too much Bible. Let's relax with that. So I, I took two verses. I figured that, that may work. So this is John, and it's like 
the veil is pulled back. That is the word for revelation, unveiling. Um, and he gets to see real life, life in the full, the fullness of life that Jesus came to bring us and actually did bring us, and here it is. This is the fullness of life. It's not mystical only. It's pretty gritty and real. So John saw a mighty angel who proclaimed in a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? This is the scroll of the meaning of life. It's the book of all the names of the saved. It's also the book of history. It's everything. Who can unlock the meaning of everything, says the angel. I looked again and heard the voices of many angels who surrounded the throne and the living creatures and the elders. They were countless in number, and they cried out in a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches, wisdom and strength, honor and glory and blessing. And before this, in the phrases I skipped, it says, Holy, 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 Lord, God of heaven and earth, which we dare to say every time we're in Mass. So even the Mass is trying to unveil what's really important. That's why we are supposed to go every week to Mass, so we don't lose sight, because we're human beings, of the key essentials of a life in full. A life in full is one that's aligned with the source of everything and the goal of everything, which would be a life in Jesus. And he is here, and he is God, the God who made the universe, the God who is the judge at the end of time, the God who came to save us and went low, very low, very, very, very low, so nobody, no individual who's ever been born, whoever will be born, can think he does not understand me. He cannot forgive me. Philippians 4, I think, 2. I'm a Catholic. Uh, <laughs> he humbled himself, becoming like one of us. He became man. All that is going on in the Eucharist. It, it's like I said on the weekend, a hurricane. You can be at the center of it, and that's a beautiful place to just rest with Jesus, and very simple, innocent souls can do that. But all of us who are not that simple, innocent, sort of get purified as we're fighting through the hurricane to get through the, the wall to get to the place of peace, which is pretty simple. He's just everything for me. Really, really, really. The little way of St. Therese is that. That's why it's so powerful, because it's everything as well. She was at the center, and when Jesus moved, she moved. But we're on our journey, so sometimes we're more captivated by the thought, this is God. Sometimes by the fact he became man. Boom. Like me. He knows what it is to suffer. He knows what it is to die. He knows what it is to not want to die. He knows what it is to be betrayed by closest friends. He knows what it is to be misunderstood and actually hated by relatives. John says we record in the Gospels only what you need for your salvation. So why do they write about his crazy relatives coming to drag him away because they thought he was out of his mind? Because 
We need that because not all of us, but some of us have relatives who think we're out of our minds because we still care about God. It's essential. Everything in the Gospels is helpful to know. Wow, I'm glad that he knows what that feels like. Because otherwise, what do we do? We start calculating. Jesus obviously cannot know how it is to have relatives who don't understand me, so I'll have to figure out on my own how I deal with this. Jesus cannot know what it is to be struck in the cheek, so I'm going to have to figure out how many times can I punch back. And then we get very interesting solutions made by very interesting Christians who have forgotten we have the gospel and we have Jesus, and he has already showed us everything. Everything essential. And if he hasn't shown it yet, it's not necessary for salvation, so go for it. Who is the best college football team in the world? He said nothing about that. So you are free to get all your gear out on game day and go crazy and have like, which I do not understand yet, like two days of celebration or mourning or whatever happens. Uh, you know, a game I thought lasted four hours, maybe, except you have nine overtimes, that happens too, which I don't even think that people noticed the nine overtimes because they were partying already that long. It was already blocked out for two days of game. Is that bad? Maybe. Ask Jesus. But he said nothing about which team is supposed to be the best. He did say there's an apocrypha where it says hockey is an awesome sport, but <laughs> I've noticed you've censored that phrase, you know, Jesus. Amen, amen, I tell you, the best sport is hockey. <laughs> I mean, that's the Bible, so what can you do? You know? So who are we encountering tonight? Well, it's Jesus Christ who is God. And the sense, worthy is the lamb, the one who was slain, the one who gave his life and poured himself out, Philippians. He humbled himself to becoming a human being and then went a little lower. He became like a slave, a servant of everybody. And then he went a little lower and he suffered immensely. And he went a little lower still and he died, but he went much lower. He died like a condemned criminal. He died like somebody condemned to death row, who only a mother could love. These are these classic preaching aids, and they always say, tell about the woman who was outside the cell of her son who was condemned to death. She was the only one there. A mother never forgets. Yes, that's a good aid, but it's basically what happened to Jesus. Who was there? Some good woman, not too many. Um, John, thank goodness we men had somebody there to represent us. Oh, we did have others, the centurion, the soldiers, the ones who nailed him to the cross, gambled for his clothing, and ignored him. I guess that's, well, that's life. That's what happens. Men are good at that. In front of the mystery that's saving the world, they're like, let's gamble. Jesus lived through that and died through that and was raised by his father from the dead. So there's not too many excuses. The essentials are all clear. And he, they say, in heaven at least, is the worthy one. He is the only worthy one. So when we come to the Eucharist, in whatever form, Sunday Mass, half distracted with kids, you're still in the presence of God, the only one who is worthy. 
And only if we believe that can we go the next step, which happens in this personal encounter. It has to be very clear from the beginning. It's not like we're equals. We're not doing Jesus a favor for showing up. And he is certainly not a pill to help me with my emotional issues. He's not an instrument so that I'll feel a little better. Yeah, I'll go to Mass because it makes me feel good. I hope so, but who cares, actually? You're going to Mass because the living God, like in the burning bush in front of Moses, is here, and you don't have to pay to get in. Only if that is clear, and it used to be called the fear of God, that is the fear of God, realizing God is here, and I, like Moses, at least take off my shoes and bow down and recognize my unworthiness. That's what happens. In the presence of the one who is worthy, it's not embarrassing or shameful to say, I am not. In the presence of the creator of the universe, I am a creature, and it's okay. And a lot of weight of expectations that I have for myself, expectations that others have for me, uh, wounds from my past, it falls away quickly if I can get to that place of realizing God you are here. You're the worthy one, and period, that's it. Nobody else would be worthy. I am not worthy to be here. Fact. Fact. What did I do to deserve to be created? Who here can say they know why they were created? Not the purpose in life, but why did you exist anyways? Why do you exist? Why do you not not exist? The miracle is that we're here tonight, like that we even are here in existence. The only reason for that is the source of everything. God loved you into existence. Catholic theology, which is very powerful, at the moment of our conception, God creates our soul. They're not like in a cabinet and he pulls them out, you know, once you're conceived, he just shoots in any old soul. And it's not just biological. This is a beautiful teaching. It's a nice thing to think of. Every single human being has been individually touched by God at the moment of their conception. So there are no unwanted children, by the way. There are no unwanted adults because God was there at the moment of our conception. And even if the two people from whom we were conceived really didn't want us, I know parents who tell their children that. That is not, by the way, I'm not a psychotherapist, but that's really not helpful. Hey, you know what? We didn't want you, but hey, gift of God. Don't do that. Don't misuse God's name like that. That's not, not good. Tell them how much God loved them, and even in difficult circumstances, he arranged that they would exist so they can be this gift for everybody they know. That would be more the unveiling revelation talk, because that's the truth. We certainly were amazed at your conception, and we bowed down and worshipped because we were on holy ground. It had nothing to do with us. That's a nicer way of saying, we don't want you. Who cares? See, that's the point. If God is here, he determines the rules, and he tells us why we're worthy. Because he loves us, and I don't need to feel on my own I could even achieve anything. A lot of pressure falls away. So he is worthy, and on this sheet that I produced, um, there are endless amounts 
of stories of encounters with God. Every time we walk into this church, every time we attend Mass or go to the Adoration Chapel, um, we are entering into the presence of the one who the angels and saints in heaven are constantly singing holy, holy, holy to. We join in for a brief moment in the Mass. It's like it breaks through, and even we, who are pretty dull and pretty ignorant, even we hear the notes and we join in and say what they've been saying since long time ago and are going to say forever, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. We have the privilege of using words that are from heaven at that moment in the Mass. There are many encounters with the Lord, and all of them have a very similar pattern, which is what I want to bring out today, because if, if the Eucharist is a personal encounter with Jesus, forget the if, the Eucharist is Jesus. Every time we come here, potentially it's a personal encounter with him, if we want. So I'll give you some stories of successful attempts to encounter the Lord. They're all the same. They're all the same, and why I'm saying this is because our story, if it looks different, very bad sign. Something is wrong. Maybe Jesus is challenging us to reframe our history, to reframe our story with the only way to frame it which is possible. God, you are in charge. You come to me in the Eucharist, and we may have an encounter if I am open for it. Are you open for it? Well, what are you doing here otherwise? You know, you have a universe to run. Why, why are you, what are you doing here? Have you ever, I've asked him that. You have nothing better to do than to be here with me? And he says, actually, I do. So I chose to be here, so can I get some appreciation, some love, some respect? Amen. Clap. Good. Every encounter with the living God looks exactly the same when you take off the veil and look at the guts of it, because it's always the same. It's God being present and the awe and wonder of that moment making us go down and feel not unworthy in the sense of all my baggage and things, but just, what am I even doing? What are you doing with me? Why do you waste time with me? I do not know. Explain that to me. Which leads to a moment of feeling loved, a St. Therese moment of, my father is on the second floor, I am on the first floor. I do not know how to get to him. I'd like to get to him. I really would like to be closer to God. I can't do it. I'm distracted. I'm busy. I have a job. I have a family, my kids are sick. Um, and then the father comes down the steps, takes the child in his arms, and brings the child up to where he wants the child to be. How difficult is that? The only way we're not going to get up the steps is if we actively jump out of his arms. But if you are there and say you love him, that would be so crazy, it's not even in any of the good Bible stories we know. Lord, I am not worthy. So worthy is the lamb, and I am not worthy. That's what I meant by that hurricane effect. At the middle, it's all simple. 
Jesus Christ, body and soul, God and man is here. Yes, that's all. That's all we believe. If you would meditate from very far away, as a theoretical, what, that would be interesting. How would God stay among us if he had the chance? If there was a God who loved us, what would he do? And we use a lot of that subjunctive case as if it hadn't already happened. Yeah, I know even good Catholics who do that. How would God express his love to me if he had the chance? Which sign would I look for? Yes, I know, thank you. Well, here he is, ask him. While you're theorizing about how a loving God might bring it together, to express his love for us, he's saying, box checked, done. What are you even doing? Why are you wasting your life constructing a fantasy world where a God who loves us might exist? You are living in the real world, the real life, the real world, the juicy one. He loves you and invites you to love him back. So all these stories on the sheet. The sending of Isaiah. He comes to us in the moment we least expect. He comes to us whenever he wants. He is the Lord, we are not. So all the encounters, the personal encounters with Jesus have that at the beginning. He chooses the moment, not us. He chooses the form. Sometimes he comes in stealth mode. Sometimes he comes pretty explosively with Moses, who must have been quite thick. He uses thunder, lightning, boulders cracking, with Elijah, who seems, to, I don't know why, but he just got an easier or a harder job. He comes as a gentle breeze. He, there's a, a huge wind, and God was not in the wind. He was just testing Elijah, because we do that too. We always say, oh, Moses, why don't I get that? He got, like, earthquakes and hail. I would need that. Like, Eucharist, isn't that, Jesus, with all respect, this is super boring and does not speak to me. I need more drama. So God tested Elijah because he says, I'm going to come to you and see if you're looking for me or for the show. Because if you're not looking for me and you're looking for the show, uh, you may not find me. So he comes in the form of this uh, earthquake and Elijah says, that's not him. I wish it was because then I'd know I'm as good as Moses. But unfortunately, God is not in that earthquake. It's just an earthquake. It's just an earthquake. And then there's this, um, what does he get? Something else, fire. He gets drama, and God is not in that. And finally, there's the gentle breeze, and all of us love that story because they tell it all the retreats, how God comes as a gentle breeze. I don't know why, that's about as bad as lightning and thunder and hail in terms of it doesn't do much for me, maybe. Like, because if you're hard of heart, a gentle breeze is not even going to, make an impact. I think we like the gentle breeze because we are heart of heart and then we don't have to change our lives at all. Thank you, Lord, being the gentle breeze. Oh, I love it. I'm like a little leaf swaying in the gentle wind. Yeah, and then you don't change. So never pray for the gentle breeze if you need the hurricane. God chose the Eucharist, it's for everybody. It's good for everybody. It is a hurricane. It will rip you apart if you're hard of heart. And if you're kind and gentle like St. Therese, it will make you feel comforted, like a father taking his daughter in his arms. It is everything. 
So Elijah knew it's not about the story, it's about what he chooses, when he chooses, as he chooses. All the encounters with God have that. So let's look at our lives. Where have we encountered God? Have there been any special moments with the Eucharist? I hope so. Where has he spoken to me? How has he spoken to me? It can be as random as God is. Some people here have had relatively dramatic conversions, reversions, uh, moments where they're at the deepest, darkest point. They thought no human being could go that low, and then they found that even Jesus, he's been that low. He found them there, and he pulled them out. And others of us have had a more or less okay life, no drama. Is that good or bad? I don't know. You have to ask him. Maybe he wanted drama in your life, and you were so resistant he could never break through. He would have liked some more drama in your life, and you fought him off. Maybe you've had drama in your life. He was looking for peace and gentleness, but you did not like peace and gentleness, so you fought him off. All of the encounters with God, he comes when he wants, as he wants. There's an awareness on the part of the one to whom he comes Oh my goodness, I am not worthy. There is a healing that takes place because he says, well, thank God you finally noticed that. Now I can actually touch your heart and we can get rid of some of the garbage and I can get you to do what I made you for. And it is like an encounter. It's like a dialogue. He comes. We open the door. I knock at the door, Revelation 3. The apocalypse, the unveiling. Who knocks at whose door? Never think you knocked at Jesus' door before he knocked on yours. It, it never happens. He always wins. He knocks on the door. All I have to do is open the door. Then he comes in and has meal with me, Eucharist, bread and wine, thank you, symbolic, beautiful, powerful, the unveiling, Revelation 3. We will have a meal together. At that meal, we'll talk about stuff, like Peter on the shore, and I might talk about your sinful past. He brings up the themes, which is sometimes great and sometimes not. If you've always had great experience with Jesus, I doubt you've been speaking to him. If he's always telling you how lovely you are and how wonderful and that your husband is wrong again, you are not listening to Jesus. If he says, like, 90% of the time that you're wonderful and your husband is wrong, although once in a while he's right too, that could be Jesus. But if he's, he's saying everybody else in the world is stupid, infantile, and divisive, and you are basically, if I wasn't God, you would be. You are, I don't know who you're talking to. This is not my Jesus. You have got, like, a special track. And I actually would be very skeptical that you even know him. If he's always telling you how rotten you are, how terrible, that is not how the Bible presents these things. He will tell you, I love you, and you'll say, I am unworthy of this love. And he will say, would you be quiet? And he will come and hug you, and then you will talk about what you're going to do together in the future. And if the dialogue goes really well, you'll say, you know what? I give you my heart. Let's do it together. That's all. Isaiah. God comes to him. He has his vision of the angels. And they're singing, holy, holy, holy. We've heard this, yes. It's the song in heaven. So he has like the vision of heaven. And he is like 
sure he's going to die. He is so unworthy. Woe to me, I am doomed. I am a man of unclean lips, living among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen, they have seen the king. See, that was clear. I am not worthy at all, and I have seen God. I cannot deny it. Then one of the angels flew and took an ember, and he touched my mouth with it, and he said, Now that this has touched your lips, your wickedness is removed, your sin purged. And then God says, Okay, I'm looking around. Who can I send? And I say, Send me. And he says, Good. Now I'm going to give you your mission. And I say, Thank God. That's wonderful. It's exactly what I wanted to do. I always wanted to serve you right. The healing of the servant of the centurion. Matthew 8. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion approached him and appealed to him, saying, Lord, my servant. But the Lord came through his town. Then he said, I need some help. Then the Lord said, um, okay, tell me, what do you need? And he said, Lord, I am not worthy. And Jesus says, this man has more faith. He looks around and says, did you hear what he said? This man has faith. The sign of faith is that you are honest and realize this is God and I am not. That's probably the most important thing we can do, surrender. So the centurion says, I am not worthy. We say it too every Mass. The church is put in our mouths because we might forget that we're not. The moment before the most intimate encounter, which is communion, uh, we say, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. But, ta-da, could you do what you did for the centurion? Say that word, and we're not even as generous, not my servant. I want to be healed. And he, he has lowered the bar so dramatically that even us selfish people, he says, okay, that's a good prayer. The centurion at least said, you know, Lord, help my servant. Don't worry about me. Uh, we are much weaker, and we say, Lord, worry about me. Could you help me? Because I'm sort of blind. I'm sort of proud. I have my doubts. I'm getting ripped apart by my everyday life. I need help. Lord, I am not worthy, but could you please? And Jesus heard this. He was amazed, said to those following him, Amen, I say to you, in no one in Israel have I found such faith. What faith? All he said was, hey, I know you're in charge, and I'm not. That's why I came to you. I'm helpless. The call of Simon the fisherman, which is Luke 5. So Simon, they're out fishing. Jesus says, may I get into your boat? And Peter opens his door. He lets Jesus step onto his boat. You're Louisianans. You understand that image? You have doors, too, I know. But uh, maybe this boat one is better. You know, inviting somebody onto your boat is a, it's a sign of friendship. It's like inviting somebody onto your porch. That's why maybe doors are not so helpful in Louisiana because most people never even get into the house. It's like the party's outside. You are tailgaters. You don't even need to go into the stadium. The party has begun. I, again, I'm Canadian. It's cold outside, so I guess that's why. In the hockey rink, you might celebrate a little bit, but why would you come four hours before a game to freeze? Always the same. Jesus comes in search of us. He, at a moment, will knock or jump into our boat. He'll ask to or to go out hunting with us 
or to get in the car with me or to come to my party. We don't invite him. He says, may I come to your party? May I come to your tailgate? And all we have to do is say yes, and then that dynamic begins of encounter. Because he comes, and I realize, despite the fact I don't have any right to it, he wanted this, I talk to him, he talks to me, I talk to him, he talks to me, and at the end of it, I'm saying, my Lord and my God, what are we going to do together? You have some beautiful words here. Um, One is visit. I learned it when I came here. In Canada, visit means, okay, I visited Niagara Falls, or I visited Hong Kong. And I came here, and people said, um, thanks for the visit. And we had talked on the phone, and I was saying, I knew it was a different word than the one I knew. We talked on the phone, and you're thanking me for a visit. That was a good visit we had this morning. We had had coffee together and talked about LSU. Like, I was not in Hong Kong or exotic locations. We just had a coffee. What are you talking about? That is, I think, why we call them Eucharistic visits. When you say adoration, just so you're aware, some people don't know what it is. So if you say, come to the adoration chapel, it sounds pretty formal and pretty strenuous and arcane. And if you've never done it before, it's like, I hope I do it right. I know people who are terrified of adoration because they want to do it right. There is a traditional word called visits, and adoration, just a long visit. It's a long visit. It's longer than two seconds. Maybe you could call it the visit chapel. I don't know. Because then people would just come and visit with Jesus. And I've noticed here, and you have a beautiful culture, visits can happen at any time. And you don't even have to be really friends. You just have to be not total enemies. Like, the bar is pretty low for visits and tailgates. I don't even know sometimes how you know. You don't even know the people who come to your table at a tailgate. And it's like, yeah, that's no problem. Jesus is like that. He's like a good tailgater guy. (laughs) And he prepares for a lot of people because he loves the socializing. So let's be grateful to Jesus. He is so good. So kind, but maybe because he is God, that's all. So tonight we took that part of it. Tomorrow we'll go into another one. But Jesus Christ, true God, is here tonight. Because I deserve it? Nope. Because you deserve it? Maybe. I don't know. I don't. But then he invites me every time he knocks on the door of my heart and wants to speak. And I'm not rude. I cannot say no. That's really all you need to go deep with Jesus. He wants to speak with each one of us tonight. He is God. So a little bit of awe and shock and wonder would be like very normal. The fear of the Lord is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's ask for that gift tonight. Lord, make me tremble in the presence of the living God. And make me appreciate how great your love is for me and how much you want to be with me, that you would come to me and you would wash my feet and you would touch my wounds and you would say, 
you are a shepherd again after I've betrayed you so many times. Song on the back of the sheet, um, I will play it over the sound system, but um, I like this song. It's one possible way of dialoguing with God tonight, but you are you and he is God, so you figure out what your little dialogue is, but this is a possible one. Look, I want to be different. I want to be changed. I would like that people, when they look at me, will see you because you really are the one I love. Um, Do whatever you want with me, Lord. Thank you. 